we are continuing series today on um, Christ in the crisis there, um, cost of living crisis, and talk about money, um, and we'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, um, I'm going to turn this on. There we go. And then uh, we're getting married, Gemini, in two weeks' time. Uh, on, uh, thank you very much. On Saturday, the 11th of November. And uh, the service is at Christchurch uh, High Barnet. Uh, starts at 12 o'clock. Everyone has to be seated by 11.45 in case she gets there early, because she's keen. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we've got lots of non-Christians coming to the wedding, actually, because uh, Gemma is the only Christian in her family and the only Christian amongst her friends outside of church. Um, so we'd really appreciate as many Christians as possible being there because we want it to be a real witness to them because lots of them have never been to a genuine, faith-filled uh, Christian act of worship and service and, and wedding as well. And so we want it to be a real witness uh, to them. We've got Kenmore and Adonis and Jerry and Becca involved in worship. Duncan's leading, Duncan's preaching as well. It'll be a real Trinity affair. Um, so please do come along if you can. Please, you're welcome to come along. Love you to have you there. And there is a reception afterwards later on at 7 p.m. at uh, West Lodge Park. If you want the details, ask Gemma um, for that, and she'll tell you all about it. Um, but if you can come or even if you can't come, please pray for us. Um, pray for that service. Pray it's a real witness. And pray for us as we adjust and change to uh, becoming married and living together and all of that kind of thing. And uh, we really appreciate that. And thank you for all your support in that. So, two weeks' time. Very exciting. Um, and um, I've got a little cost of living uh, tip for you that relates to that, which is I phoned up my car insurance company um, earlier this year, and I said, uh, please, how much is it going to cost to add Gemma onto the insurance? Because I wanted her to be able to drive the car. And so I went through all the telling them about Gemma and explaining all of that details about her and everything. And they said, well, that would be 50 quid off. I got a £50 refund for insuring Gemma on my car. So a little tip for you if you want to get a discount off your insurance. You know. Marry Gemma. <laughs> it didn't work when I tried insuring my son. That did not. That did not get a discount then. But then just to continue the story, my insurance came up for renewal this month. And do you know they quoted me a price 58% higher than it was last year, that's with no claims, the car's got a year older. I was like, what is going on? So I phoned them up and said, come on, you're having a laugh, that's a joke. You know, I know there's a cost of living crisis, but it's not 58%. Is that really your best price? Because otherwise I'm going to go elsewhere. And they said, oh yeah, you know, have you had a quote from someone else? Not yet, but I'm going to go and get one if you say this is the last price. Oh, well, you know, this is our best price. I was like, okay, goodbye. Um, so I went and looked elsewhere and found another price, £200 less. You know? and, and then I thought, oh, I'm marrying Gemma as well. Let's just ask her about that. So I phoned up the company, the original company again, and said, now, you know, you've put my price up hugely, you know, but I do need to let you know that I'm marrying this girl. Does that change the price? Oh, I probably won't. I'll just put it in and see. £30 off. Another £30 off for that. Would you believe it? You know, it's worth getting married. I mean, it doesn't, that doesn't actually pay for the cost of wedding, you know. And this is not why I'm marrying Gemma, okay? Just so you know, 
you know, anyway, and they, did, they then did match the price as well. So I got 200 pounds off. Really annoys me that they, they try and sting you like that, you know. Um, but anyway, and of course, at one level, marriage is a sharing of resources, isn't it? You only pay two rents instead of one. And, and that really, that will pay for the cost of the wedding over time. Not why I'm marrying her, but I'm just saying, you know, there are lots of benefits to marriage. Um, so anyway, but we're talking about money, okay? And all of us have to use money, don't we? And all of us have to decide how we spend our money. How do you spend your money? And you know, there's one thing that I could do that would tell me what is really on your heart and what really matters to you. Do you know what that is? The one thing I need to do is see how you spend your money. Right, if I could see all your bank accounts, all your credit card statements, work out what you spend your money on, I would know exactly how, what things you really care about. I know exactly how much you value church, for example. I know exactly what your big thing, do you spend money on holidays? Is it clothes? Is it hobbies? Is it something else? Whatever it is, you know, I would be able to tell what really matters to you if I looked at where your money goes. Any volunteers for that? You know, because um, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart, isn't it? Where your treasure is, there is your heart. So what you do with your money is a key test of your character. It reveals what your heart is really like, what you choose to spend your money on. That's up to you. And it reflects what you care about, reflects what's really on your heart. It's a test of your character. What matters to you? How much do you spend on different things? Um, this says here, money shows how trustworthy, spiritual, mature, honest, greedy, selfish, grateful, or generous you are. You can tell all of those things, can't you, by the way people use their money. And we're talking today about generosity. James Moffat said this, a man's treatment of money is the most decisive test of his character, how he makes it and how he uses it. It says something about your character, what you do with your money, how you spend your money, how much you give away, you can't be generous and not be generous with money. You're not a generous, nobody says you're a generous, really generous person, but not with his money, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's a test. It shows who you really are, it shows what you're really like. And, uh, and this is what um, Jesus said about money as well, isn't it? Where your treasure is, there is your heart. And then Paul said um, in 1 Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. Money is kind of morally neutral, right? It's not, you know, everyone has to use money. It's not wrong to use money. Everyone has to deal with it, and you have to engage with it. It's your attitude to money is what counts. It's the love of money that is a root. It's not the only root of evil, but it's a root 
of all kinds, all different kinds of evil. The love of money. And we can all fall prey to this love of money, can't we? Right? Because it kind of grabs us. It kind of, you know, oh, I really want this. You know, I really like that. Or, you know, we feel selfish sometimes about money. Or we're jealous of other people and the money that they have that I don't have. That's a kind of love of money. Even that is kind of jealousy is a kind of a love of money. And, you know, we think about money a lot. That's a kind of love of money as well, isn't it? Thinking all, all the time about money. How can I, what can I do with money? That's a kind of love of money, making it an idol in your heart, isn't it? Love of money causes people to do all sorts of wrong things. It results in injustice and in deceit in pride, in envy, in greed, in covetousness, in bribery, stealing, disobedience, anxiety, indulgence, greed, self, all these sins and some others as well can be put at the root, can be put sometimes down to money, can't they? And you can choose to lie about money. You can choose to deceive people about money. You can choose to abuse money. You can choose to avoid giving money. And you can choose how you spend your money. And it is a dis decisive test of your character. And God uses it to test your character. God uses it to teach you and to show you about faith and to teach you about generosity and to develop your character. He's given you money. Part of the reason he's given it to you is to test you, is to develop your character, is to train you in becoming more like him. Martin Luther said this, there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And guess which one comes last there? Very often, the conversion of the purse comes last. Right? I think that's not a mistake. I think it's very often true, isn't it? Is, is your purse converted? Is your bank account converted? John Wesley said this, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That's a good motto to live by. Wesley himself, in one year, earned a million pounds in today's money equivalent through all the books that he wrote and sold and various pamphlets and uh, donations to him and tracks that he sold as well. A million pounds he earned in one year, and he gave away 98% of that. Gave away 98% of his money. Over the course of his life, he earned about 20 million pounds in today's money. When he died, he had some few coins and two silver spoons. The rest of it had been given away. What a life, what a life, yeah. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Paul said this, command them to be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share. So, and when we talk about giving and generosity, what always comes up, of course, is tithing. And everyone thinks, what about tithing and how does this fit into um, giving? Well, in the Old Testament, there are actually three different tithes. Did you know this? Um, let's have a look at them. Um, three tithes. First of all, the tithe to the Levites. And in Leviticus 27, it says this, Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land 
or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. So it's saying you take a tenth and it's set aside holy for the Lord. If you want to redeem it, that means like turn it into cash. You add a fifth to it, so that makes it 12%, so 10%. Um, and then uh, later in Numbers, it says to the Levites, I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service and attend to the meeting. And so the Levites didn't own their own land, which they could live off and develop their own businesses from. So they had to survive by donations, not really donations, a tax almost, effectively a 10%. Everyone had to give 10% every year to the Levites. And what did the Levites do? Well, the Levites were the priests of the nation. And this is in a theocracy. It's kind of God is ultimately the king of the nation in those days. So they're kind of like the religious officiants of the um, national religion. Um, they also sort of effectively carry out government, the role of government, the role of judiciary, um, and the role of local services, and uh, a kind of NHS system. You ask them for healing or to pray for them, and that kind of thing. And so they were kind of like officially running the country effectively, um, the priests. And so this is like a 10% that you give to enable the country to be run by the Levites who would do all of these various jobs in the country. And, um, and you donate this 10% uh, to the Levites every year. And then there is a festal tithe. Let's just read uh, this one in Deuteronomy chapter 14. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So this is saying that you, you set aside a tithe, and for a particular festival, you go and you celebrate, and you make a party, you eat the whole lot. And you have a great big feast, and you worship God. It's a national praise God, worship God festival, and everybody spends 10% of their income yes. worshipping God. Imagine what a great big festival that would be. What an amazing celebration. What a fantastic witness. What a celebration and worship of God. We'd all have a fantastic time. The whole country would spend 10% on praising, worshipping, thanking God. And this is what they did. And uh, they'd spend 10% of their income uh, once a year on doing that. So that was the um, festival tithe. And then... The third tithe is the poor tithe. And uh, this one actually only happens every three years. So it says there in Deuteronomy chapter 14, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out the tithe, all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So this tithe is given, set aside for the poor, the fatherless, the aliens, the widows, the orphans, those who can't actually fend for themselves, those who aren't able to provide for themselves. And this tithe comes um, once every three years. So on average over three years, that's another three and a third percent or so. You, so you can add these three tithes together and you get... Uh, 10 plus 10 plus 3 and a third over averaged over three years, so it's 23 and a third uh, percent. Or if you turn the first one into cash, 25 and a third percent. Um, and so that's kind of like a tax rate 
effectively. And this poor tithe is effectively a kind of social security kind of system uh, for the poor. Everyone has to give uh, their 10% once every three years, and that's providing for the poor and enable them to have some food and sustenance and things to live off as well. And so tithing is really a kind of taxation system in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel living as a theocracy. And we can see more evidence of this if we look outside the Bible. Uh, for example, at the book of Tobit. Anybody got the book of Tobit? Anybody read the book of Tobit? Anybody, can anybody find it in their Bibles? Hope you can't find it in the Bible because it's not in the Bible. It would be in the Bible if you were, if you were Catholic because the Catholics added this book into the Bible in 1545 in response to the Reformation. They added various additional books in there. Um, but we don't agree with them on that, amongst other things. But we do find these books useful for historical background. And so here's what Tobit says, written uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, but every third year, I would give a third tithe to the widows and orphans. So you can see he's saying that we had three tithes, and in the third year, they'd do a third tithe as well, and that would go to the poor. Um, and then Josephus, who's a Jewish historian writing in the first century, um, said this, besides those two tithes, which I've already said you're to pay every year, the one for the Levites and the other for the festivals, you are to bring every third year a third tithe to be distributed to those that want, to women that are widows and to children that are orphans. So do you get the idea here? They had these three different tithes and his historical uh, reference to it as well. And they were used in these different ways, and they paid it, and it is kind of like a taxation system um, that they had. And uh, so the question is then, how does this apply today? Well, today we pay taxes, don't we? And we're encouraged to pay taxes, and the Bible commands us to pay taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, for example, and provided miraculously so those apples could pay uh, tax in one instance. Um, and But people who want to do tithing, tithing is criticised in the New Testament as being legalistic. The Pharisees, Jesus, criticised them for being overly legalistic about tithing. That is the only reference to tithing in the New Testament where it's criticised for being legalistic because people feel, I'm so good because I give my 10%. And actually, it's not as easy as that. It's too easy to say, here's a percentage and you've done that, then you've sorted out your giving. It's not like that. And in fact, even in the Old Testament, you couldn't get away with that because it talks about tithes and offerings. Let's read a couple of passages that say that. Here's Deuteronomy chapter 12. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contributions that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. So you see you've got tithes there and sacrifices and vow offerings and freewill offerings and other offerings as well. So the Israelis, the Jews, were expected to give, to give beyond just the tithing. They expected to give offerings as well as tithes. And again, in Malachi chapter 3, will you, a mere morsel, rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? In tithes and offerings. So do you see the idea? You can't just get away with saying, I'm giving this percentage and therefore I'm done. You've got to have offerings as well. All right. Now, it's not necessarily a bad idea to think about what percentage am I going to give. 
Okay, let's, let's think about that. But let's not be legalistic about it. And let's not think that's one percentage that applies to everyone. Wesley gave 98%. Zacchaeus gave 25%. What percent are you going to give? Right? And I'm not, there's no formula for it. All right? I'm not going to, it's be wrong for me to say you all need to give this percentage because actually you need to decide. It's on your heart, it's your responsibility. And different people have different amounts of money and different abilities to give. Fine, you need to decide how much you can give and what is the right amount for you to give. And no one else can tell you what that should be. So let's look at some principles then outlined in the Bible um, for giving. Um, First, first of all, giving is investing in God. Jesus said this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In other words, you can't outgive God, right? And there's a kind of principle here that the more we give, the more we share, the more we're generous, the more people like to be generous back to us. You know, you kind of like, you get what you sow. It's, you know, even works with smiling. If I smile at someone, people smile back at me. Did you know, have you tried that? You know, it kind of works, you know. Um, but if, you, if you're a generous person, people are more likely to be generous back to you. And God kind of sets it up in this kind of way. This is not a prosperity gospel thing at all. It's kind of a principle thing. When we're giving to God, we're investing in him. We're investing in the kingdom. We're investing in eternal, for eternal reward, ultimately, in it. And uh, that's the best place to invest, isn't it? You know, because that's, that's where moth and rust won't destroy it. Okay, and it'll last eternally. So we need to give with that kind of attitude that we're giving into God's work, we're giving into God's kingdom, and there will be a reward for it, and we will get back for it ultimately in the end. And then secondly, as I've kind of emphasized already, you decide how much you give. There's a verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you can see there that it's repeating the kind of teaching that Jesus said. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. But then it's saying you've got to decide in your heart. You've got to decide in your heart what you will give. No one can tell you. I can't tell you. Duncan can't tell you. No one else can tell you, right? Because it's up to you, ultimately, to give. You need to decide in your heart. You need to go away and pray about it and decide what you're going to give. And it shouldn't be under compulsion. You shouldn't do it because you feel pressured, right? I heard about a church in Hertfordshire just recently that locked the doors and said, no one's getting out of here until you signed on the standing order form. Most of the people left the church after that one. I think it's really a cult rather than a church. But, you know, you can feel pressured in some meetings to give, can't you? And, and that's wrong. It's good to feel convicted, though, to give. And it's good to decide in your heart to give or to go away and think, OK, God, I'm going to pray about that and think about it and then decide what to give. I've been in meetings this year where I've decided, yes, I need to give to that. And then I've gone away and actioned it later on and given to that thing. 
and uh, on other occasions where I've decided to give uh, for particular reasons. And, you know, God convicts you and God speaks to you, but it's up to you, ultimately. It's not up to anyone else. You need to decide when to give, what to give to, how to give. God will put things on your heart. God will prompt you to do it. It shouldn't be under compulsion. It shouldn't be reluctantly either. You should be joyful um, about doing it because God loves a cheerful giver who delights to be generous, delights to be able to give to other people. It's more blessed to give than to receive, uh, says Paul. Uh, it's more blessed to give, it's blessed to receive as well, okay? Um, as somebody was sharing today, it's blessed to receive, but it's even more blessed to give. And so what a blessing it is to be able to give to people and individuals and projects and various other kingdom ministries and so on. So, but you've got to decide, no one else can tell you what to give. And then being sacrificial about it. Of course, Jesus told this story in, in Mark um, I'll read it. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. What Jesus is saying here is ultimately it's the heart that counts, right? Yeah, that's what God is watching. It's, it's not the amount so much, right? The people there giving way, way more than that widow. The heart counts. And the question is, is it costing you? Is it really costing you? This lady gave everything she had. Is it costing you? Is it sacrificial? in some way. Giving that's not sacrificial is not really giving ultimately, really, in a way, right? It's kind of, it's got to cost you somehow. It's got to make a difference to you somehow. It's got to, you've got to have to give up something in order to give. And then it really counts to God. And then God's really pleased with it. And then God's really delighting in it and, and celebrating it and recognizing it as something. So my question to you is, are you giving sacrificially um, in your giving? Here's another principle. Beware of wishful thinking. Jesus said this, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you've not been faithful with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Uh, the point is here that we could all think, hey, if I was a millionaire, I'd give 98% as well. Except you realize that's like leaving me with only 20,000 to live on, right? Which is less than I live on today. So I'm not sure I would, right? I, and I met a couple just a couple of months ago who have given 8 million pounds away in the last five years to various Christian ministries. They run a business and uh, most of their profits they give away to Christian ministry. What a fantastic thing that they do. And it's very easy to me to think, if I was in their position, that's what I would do as well. But that's not the question. The question is, what do you do with the money you do have? Yeah. That's the question, right? It's very easy to wishfully think, oh, if I had more money, then I'd give a lot more. But what are you doing with what you have now? Right? With the little you have now, that's what matters. That's what really counts. It's too easy to say, if I had more money, then I'd definitely give more. Well, but are you doing it now? Because Jesus said, if you're not 
faithful with little, you're not going to be faithful with more. So how faithful are you with the little that you have now? That's the question. And that's what Jesus is looking at today. And it's too easy to wishfully think, oh, if I had loads more, then I'd give, give, give. Well, are you doing it now? That's what really counts here. Um, give regularly. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so I also to you, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so there'll be no collecting when I come. So he's saying set money aside every week. People would uh, probably get paid weekly or do their accounts weekly in those days. Nowadays it's monthly for most of us. And so give on a monthly basis. But the point is to give regularly and give in the, the regularity that you probably get your income in or the regularity that you do your accounts or think about money. Regularly give. It should be a regular part of what you do, setting aside money for God. It does say often, doesn't it, about being the first fruits. So whenever money comes to me, the first thing I think is how much should I give out of this? And let's, you know, this happened when Dora died. I got some money. I thought the first thing is, right, I need to give first and then think what else um, to do with it. And, and that's what I always try and do. But the point here is about giving regularly. As you get money regularly, give money regularly as well. Um, sixth one is that you should support your local church. Paul says in Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle ox when it treads out the grain, the labourer deserves his wages. So that's basically saying you should be giving to those people who minister to you, and that would be the people in your local church. So I think the first priority for any Christian in their giving is to be giving to their local church. And you should be giving, and I'm sure most of you are, to this church. If you're not already, please do give to this church. And you know, there is a cost of living crisis. Costs are going up all the time. I don't know what Duncan's salary is. It's not my business. I hope it's keeping up with inflation. But of course, what that means is we've got to give in a way that keeps up with inflation and give in a way that keeps up with at least how much our own income is going up as well. And so we need to be giving where we're getting benefit, where we're being ministered to. Give to those ministries you get benefit from and, and your church should be the primary ministry that you get benefit from. So you should give um, to your local church. But not only your local church, because um, Paul was a missionary as well. And he said, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied and received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to my God. And God, my God, will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. A verse from Philippians there. So this church had saved up money and sent it off, not to their local church, to Paul the missionary and given it to him. So, um, and we should be giving as well to missionary situations or let's expand it to other Christian ministries and ministries that act globally or ministries that do something that is on your heart to support in terms of social action or um, evangelism or teaching or whatever it might kind of, kind of thing it might be. Um, but there will be things that are on your heart that you should be giving to that God will stir you to give to and support um, those things with the money that you have, Christian ministries, and you should do that as well. Um, and finally, giving is a ministry. And we don't often talk about it and think about it in this way, but here we are in Romans 12, and it talks about us all having different gifts 
for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophesy, in, pro in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads, with zeal, the one who acts of mercy, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So you see, you know, perhaps we're quick to recognise some of the more obvious gifts like prophecy and teaching and stuff. What about generosity, contributing, giving generously? That's a gift as well. And there'll be people here God is gifting you or wanting to gift you in being generous, gifting you in generosity. And we might sometimes pray for people who are teachers and preachers and prophecy and whatever. How often do we pray for people who are generous, right? Not saying we should, you know, not saying we should um, embarrass people in that way. Um, but, you know, my point more is that this is a spiritual gift, actually, right? Just as much as prophecy and teaching, all those other things, right? Generosity is a spiritual gift, right? And we should pray for spiritual gifts. And there'll be people here who have this spiritual gift and God wants you to exercise it and use it and step out in faith in your generosity and be supernaturally generous, right? And I've met some very generous people and God might be calling some of you to be that kind of person. So we, we, we got through um, nine different principles um, for giving Eight, sorry, principles for giving. And I want to close um, with this final verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to read two chapters about giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I've quoted already from a little bit, but you could just go and read those two chapters. They're all about giving. See to it that you excel in this grace of giving. That's Paul says. See to it that you excel in this grace of giving. How are you doing in this grace of giving? And you know your own money, and you know your own heart, and you know what you spend your money on, and you know how much money you give. See to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Shall we stand and I'll pray? And as I've spoken today, I've talked about that money shows your heart. I just want you to, just in a few quiet moments now, just talk to God about your heart and your money. And maybe you need to resolve to do something. Um, I don't know, but I'll leave that between you and God just for a few quiet moments now. Just what is God saying to you about your money today? Jesus, I just want to ask you to 
Stir us afresh, Lord, as through this series, as we think about money, I pray we'd reassess our own use of money and um, reassess our own thinking about money. I pray that you'd stir us to be more generous than we are, Lord Jesus. Stir us to give and be generous in lots of different ways. Stir us to be the kind of people who are gifted in this. Thank you for uh, raising this subject in the church today at this time. Uh, we do pray, pray for each person here, Lord, and we have to decide, all of us have to decide in our hearts what to give. And I pray that you would, therefore, you would touch our hearts, Lord. You would speak to our hearts about this, Lord, and tell us individually. We all have to hear from you individually, and so I ask you to come and speak to us individually about this. As we pray about it, as we think about it, stir us, show us, and let us be cheerful, joyful, generous givers and people who are delight in giving to your work and giving to your kingdom. Come and use us, Lord. Make us sacrificial, joyful givers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.